Well, I grew up Catholic, um, so I grew up uh, really traditional. Um, I grew up in church, um, really thought that I was good to go. I really thought I was doing all the stuff I needed to do, doing everything to make it to heaven. Um, and then when I was about 17, um, I actually got into the Bible, started uh, reading God's Word for myself instead of uh, going off of what somebody else was telling me. And I, I really just experienced God in that. I, I started to know His Word, started to love His Word, started to read about what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. Um, and just through that, He drew me to Himself. Um, and I, I learned about the freedom that He gives me. There are a couple different things that I would say were instrumental to my spiritual growth. Um, number one, just continuing to stay in God's Word. Um, there have been times in my life where I've kind of let that fall by the wayside, haven't focused as much on that. Um, and I, I can see a significant difference in those seasons as opposed to when I'm daily in the Word of God. Um, that's one of the biggest things that's been instrumental to my growth, but also just having a great church around me. Um, a lot of people were willing to pour into me, um, and I think that was just in, an incredible blessing, just having all those people that were willing to teach me and walk alongside me in that. Uh, one area I'm really passionate about is um, missions um, and evangelism, both here at home and abroad. Um, I, I actually serve as the Heart of Life Go Team Coordinator. Um, so I'm involved a lot in mission planning and strategy and all that kind of stuff um, simply because I want to see people come to know Jesus like I have. Um, and then another area I'm really passionate about is just being one of those people that's willing to walk alongside somebody that's new to the faith, uh, being willing to pour into them like I was poured into, um, just kind of that discipleship thing. Um, I'm, I'm really passionate about that as well. I'm really excited about uh, this opportunity to get ordained as a deacon. Um, I'm excited to continue in the, the serving ministries, I'm continuing to get opportunities just to love on people. Um, and just want to say thank you to everybody who's poured into me along the way. Derek's story is uh, especially personal for me. Uh, Derek married my oldest daughter, Whitney. And so I'm telling you that Derek's faith is instrumental in how our family moves forward in faith. But I'm also telling you that Derek's faith is instrumental and impacts how we as a church move forward in faith. And I'm really excited for him, as well as the other guys you, you heard him say. Um, he, he is looking forward to uh, ordination, which he and some other guys, you're going to hear their stories in some of the weeks that follow. But it's going to happen at Secret Church. Now, you've heard us talking about Secret Church for weeks and weeks now, and so I just want to plug it again and encourage you to make plans to be there. Anybody know when Secret Church is happening? Yeah, they just gave you the answer. Good Friday, all right? That's how you can remember Good Friday. So the 19th of April, Secret Church is going to be that evening. We're going to start about 7 o'clock, and it will run till probably midnight, all right? So it is a long, it's an extended period of time. You're like, I, I've never been a part of anything like that. I understand. Most people haven't. But it's a time when we come together, extended time where we're going to sing and we're going to 
pray and we're going to teach and ordinations are going to be a part of that. There's a, a baptism already committed for that night. It is going to be an extended time of just meeting with God. And here's what's so unusual. Not very many times do we come to meet with him and say, God, we got nowhere else to be. God, we don't need to get this done in 45 minutes because we got some other things. This is a night where we got nowhere else to be and we're just going to hang out with him for an extended period of time. It's going to be, I believe, a great night together. It's not built for kids, so there's no child care. That's why we started telling you like six weeks ahead of time, get child care, all right? I know that takes some effort, but it is, I believe it's worth the effort. Secure some child care so that you can be a part of that very special night. It's going to be a great time together. Doing good? The sun's shining again today. A little bit cool, but it's coming. It's coming. I want to welcome you to week three of a talk series that we call Imagine. Imagine. And the reason we titled it that is because when people enter significant relationships, they imagine what those relationships will be like. And I have already toted this backpack around for several weeks now. It represents the kind of stuff that we tend to imagine. We imagine what we're going to do with stuff like this, money. Are we going to, how are we going to save it? How are we going to spend it? How many income streams? What's that going to look like? What does it look like with our money? We, we imagine what kind of house we're going to live in and how, that's, how that process is going to work. Who's going who's to take care of, of, of what responsibilities? How does all that work together? Um, let's see what else I can find. We imagine what we're going to do with our time. Right? How much we're going to work, how much free time we've got, what we're going to do when, when we begin to, to, to do stuff together, no, we do stuff separately. Next week, I'm going to key in on, a, on an example of this that I think uh, is super practical, super funny, but really critical. It can be crazy painful if we don't understand how to deal with it. All right? Next week, I'm going to give you some of that. Uh, we imagine... How many of these we're going to have, right? Well, we, well we, no, we're not going to. No, we are. And I want one. No, I, I want two. We, we, we imagine all these things. So here's what happens. I bring her ring and my pack to the wedding. She brings my ring and her pack to the wedding. And at the wedding, we exchange rings and we exchange packs and we say, make this come true. Here's what I imagine it will be. Make this come true. I see it this way. Well, I see it this way. And what should be fun begins to collide. We say eyes collide. What, what should be fun be, begins to be a point of, of contention, right? It's like, well, everybody knows. Everybody knows that what I am imagining is the way it should be. And so I'm telling you, this, this is the direction that, that we should go. And, and, and the other person is saying, no, obviously you are delirious because that didn't work in your family. That's kind of dumb. So why don't we, let's go with my way. This is what I imagine. This is, this is how it's going to be. And all of a sudden, it turns into this tug of war. And next week, we'll talk about this even more. But nobody wants to come home to a war. 
Nobody wants to come home to a war. And so what results is we begin to negotiate. Well, then how does this go work? And we tend to use the word compromise. If you ask most people, hey, what makes a successful relationship, the word compromise is what tends to surface. We think this is the best solution. But what compromise turns into is still this game. It's a game of how can we position so that I can get the most out of this? What do I need to give up in order to gain what I really want to gain? What it becomes is a debt relationship. You owe me some things, and I owe you some things. And it requires that we keep track, because I want to make sure that you're not taking advantage of me. You owe me, I owe you, and when you operate that way in a relationship, there's no gratitude. You don't show gratitude for what is expected, what is, what is owed. There's no trust that's built when you're keeping track, and therefore there is no intimacy. Now, I have yet to say this. We all do realize that really the most important things we imagine, they don't fit in a pack. Like I imagine in this relationship, I'll be respected. I imagine that I will be desired. I imagine that I will be admired. I imagine that I will be cherished. I imagine I will be protected or defended or trusted or prioritized. I don't want to compete with your job. I don't, I don't want to compete with the kids. I, I imagine I will be pursued. Now, those are not bad things. Those are not bad things. But when you think you get them through compromise, when you think you get them in a relationship of you owe me this, it works against trust. And therefore, it works against intimacy. Now, we have learned in this series another route. And what we call this route is simply a submission competition. What does that mean? Here's what it means. It's a race. But it's a race to the back of the line. A race to the back of the line so that I can put you first. And each are racing to the back. And you go, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Everybody knows you race to the front of the line if you want to get what you want. Well, not in this world. You, 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 you race to the back of the line in order to put the other first. We both understand that we owe each other everything, but are not owed anything in return. And we are making a decision. You don't owe me. You don't owe me. I am choosing to drop the rope. No more tug of war. You say, that's crazy. I know. It's why so few couples actually try it, but why those who do are so good you can hardly imagine. Where do you get a crazy idea like that? Jesus. That's where we get it. And last week we saw how the Apostle Paul 
took this principle that Jesus gives us, and he drops it into relationships. Specifically, last week, we dropped it into marriage and went, what does this look like and how we interact? This week, we're going to hear from another follower of Jesus. His name is Simon Peter, and he also takes what Jesus says And he's going to help us know what to do in these relationships where it's tension. Now, this doesn't just apply to marriage. This this applies to friendships. This applies really to any relationships. But the Apostle Peter knows what he's seen and heard from Jesus. And he's going to help us understand what steps we take from here. Now, here's what I should tell you. What he's going to tell you, it's a little weird. It's a little weird. You're like, well, that's consistent because submission competition is a little weird, right? It is. It's it's weird. It's going to feel a little uncomfortable what he tells us we should do. But my question is, what really are our other options? I mean, really? Is my option to just ignore what I imagine a relationship to be? Should I just pretend like this stuff is not a part of my heart? If I do, I actually become a pretender in a relationship, never acknowledging what's really a part of me. That doesn't end well. We could stay busy. That's another option, right? I could just put my time into a hobby. We could put our time into our kids. We could just put our time somewhere else other than what we're actually dealing with here, but then we just sort of exist and become roommates? That's not really the option we're after. We could find someone else. I I, I can find someone else. Now, let's pause here for a second before we jump into what Peter's going to tell us. Because it might be that if you are dating... You're in the process of dating. And what you have discovered is that what you imagine and what they imagine is very much at odds. Very much clash. I'm saying it might be the case that you move on. Seriously. What you imagine seems to be two different worlds. What you imagine seems to be two different kingdoms. It might be that you need to move on in the sense of this being a significant relationship. But I want to be clear. If you are already with someone, and what I mean by already with someone is that you have made the commitment, this, this, I I am married to you. We, We are doing this together for life. Don't move on. if you think the reason to move on is that it's easier. Don't move on if you think moving on is actually easier. Because let me just get you to think about this for a minute. Wherever you go, there you are. I worked hard on that this week. Wherever you go, there you are. What I mean by that is, I'm taking my stuff and I'm moving on. Key word, I'm taking my stuff. I'm going to move on to the next relationship, but I'm I'm taking the same issues with me. I'm taking the same conflicts with me. And by the way, the other person that you are meeting, 
you do realize that when you meet them, you are seeing the very best of what they've got. They are putting the best foot forward. They are being as kind as they are ever going to be. You're only seeing part of the picture. People don't rush into another relationship because they are eager to give their lives to someone else. (laughs) People tend to move on to another relationship because they're not getting what they're wanting and they believe somehow they can get it if they move to the next. They're not there to give. They're there to get. One more thought. For those of you who maybe have been through a divorce, you have been through that walking away. You understand the best friend you've got between divorce and dating again? Time. Time. The best friend you've got between A divorce between that separation, that between somebody said I'm leaving, the best friend that you've got between that and dating again is time. Nobody ever believes me, but it's time. And for some of you, if you find yourself in that spot, I'm just encouraging you, if it's real, if it's good, if it's what you're supposed to be after, it's going to last, you may need to hit the pause button. Hit the pause button. And for some of you, maybe we should talk because the eject button might be more in line with where you need to be at this point. Because come on, if you're really serious about loving this person, you will take the time to make sure that you are ready to be who you need to be for this relationship to be good. Peter. How does Peter say all this? Well, he chooses not to use the word submission, so that'll make some of you feel better, all right? He chooses not to use the word submission, but I want you to see how he applies this, and it really does apply to more than marriage. Here's how he starts. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. All of you, okay, just in case you think this is not for you, all of you, Clothe yourselves with, what's the word? Humility. He doesn't use the word submission, but he uses the word humility. Clothe yourselves with humility toward, check this out, one another. Now that sounds familiar, because what did Paul teach us last week? We submit to one another. Same picture, same language. He's saying, I I, I want you to think about this in your relationships. It is a matter of humility. It is a matter of putting others first. It is a matter of of running to the back of the line. It is a, a matter of you deciding to go small in order to put others first. So basically what he's saying is, look, you find yourself in this relationship. You find yourself in this scenario. What do I do? Here's what Peter says. Ask the question, what does a humble person do? What does a humble person do? What what am I supposed to do in my case? What does a humble person do? And you're saying, "Uh uh-oh, 
because I don't think I'm humble. Can I tell you a secret? If you ask the question, what does a humble person do? And then you begin to do that, you know what you're becoming? Humble. You ask the question, what does a humble person do? And then you actually begin to do that in this relationship. Guess what you are becoming? Humble. And you're like, oh, no, 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 no. Humility is a matter of the heart. Can I clarify? Humility is a matter of the action. Yes, it has something to do with your heart. You gotta have, the heart has to be at a certain spot in order for you to even ask the question. But humility, it's not about just this internal thing where I'm just not a humble person. Or more likely, you're like, I, I, I am a humble person and everybody around you is going. You're like, well, yes, I am. I feel like I'm a humble person in my heart. And they're going, yeah, but you're not a humble person in your actions. What does a humble person do and, 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 and Peter says, do that. All right, well, why would I want to do that? Why would I even want to go there? Why would I clothe myself with humility toward one another? Well, check this out. Because God opposes the proud. Okay, that's kind of a reason. God opposes the proud but shows favor. Favor. We, we could use the word grace. He, he shows favor to the humble. In other words, get this picture. God, God, God's leaning away from the proud. God pulls back from the arrogant. Now, before you, you want to throw a, a, a stone at God for acting that way, so do you, and so do I. Arrogant people... If you have to deal with them, you have to deal with them. You just learn how to get along. You learn how to go along with. They're arrogant, but you got to do it for your job. They're, they're arrogant, and you, you have to do it in order. But really, is there any trust being built between you and them? No. In fact, the more you interact and the more you see their arrogance, the more you actually separate your heart from it. You're willing to go along, but you pull back. Guess what God does too? But it says he, he shows favor, he shows grace to the humble. Literally what this is saying is that when you humble yourself, it is an invitation for God to give you strength for what you find yourself in. When you are humble, it is an invitation for God to give you strength for what you find yourself in. The invitations are distributed at the back of the line. Check this out. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. I love this image, love this image, all right? Let's, let's use one of our little buddies to help us out here. All right, here, here's what he says. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. 
And you have this, this imagery. It is, it is the, the language of a canopy. It is the language of a covering to be, to be under God's protection, to be, to be under God's authority. I mean, you talk about a safe place to be, right? I want to be under God's mighty hand. But humility doesn't just put you under God's mighty hand. It also puts you in God's mighty hand. Check it out. That he may lift you up in due time. Isn't that a cool picture? I mean, can you think of any place safer than that? Can you think of anything more secure than that? To, to know that you find yourself under God's mighty hand and know that you find yourself in his mighty hand, that when God is ready, he can do something extraordinary with your life. In other words, when you are ready to power up, this is your most powerful move. When you're ready to power up, this is your most powerful move, humility. Say, so, okay, but I'm still not sure I know what that looks like. Well, I think that Peter knows that you think that because of what he puts next. And I think it's remarkable. Watch what he says, verse 7. Cast. What does that mean? It means to throw. Cast all your anxiety on him. Cast all your anxiety on him. In other words, God says, I want you to unload on me. I want you to unload on your heavenly Father before you unload on anybody else. That, that anxiety, that uncertainty, God, this is not how I thought this would be. God, this is not how I thought this relationship would play out. This is not what he said. This is not what she said. This is not what they promised. Yeah, I know. All that anxiety, all that uncertainty, sometimes... In relationships, you got to throw things, right? I'm scared to ask some of you just to say, all right, in people that throw things, but you know what God says? Sometimes you got to throw things. But what He says today is, I want you to throw things at me. I want you to throw things at me. Now, here's why this is a little messed up for some of us. Because some of you, somebody taught you how to pray polite prayers. They did. They taught you how to pray polite prayers. Kind, polite, remember who you're talking to, prayers. But this is uncomfortable for you, what we're talking about today, because nobody ever taught you how to pray honest prayers. Nobody taught you how to pray honest prayers. And today I want to encourage you to learn to pray honest prayers. 
Now, when you pray honest prayers, there's a couple of moves I'm encouraging you to make first. Here's the first move. In order to pray honest prayers, I want to encourage you, you ready for this? To do one of these. On your knees. You, you mean like literally on our knees? Yes. I mean like literally on your knees. You say, well, I, I physically can't do that. Okay, then I'm not talking to you. But for everybody that can physically do that, I'm saying on our knees in order for honest prayers to be voiced. Why on our knees? Because what does going to our knees represent? Humility. Humility. I'm going to give you one more piece of, of, of instruction, if you will, when you pray honest prayers. Lift your hands. You're like, okay, this is just downright goofy now. Lift your hands. Why lift your hands? Who lifts their hands? You know who lifts their hands? My little granddaughter lifts her hands. When she walks up to Papa and she lifts her hands, she's saying, I need you to pick me up. I need you. When you pray honest prayers, which we're about to get some instruction on, I'm encouraging you, go to your knees and lift your hands. And you're saying, I, I kind of like my comfy chair, to be honest with you. I, I just like finding a comfy chair, and I like getting my cup of coffee. And don't get me wrong, I think, I think there's a place for that. But I'm telling you, when you pray honest prayers, your posture matters because your brain is connected to your body. And your posture, believe it or not, sends a message to your brain, and your brain sends a message to the rest of your body. There's, there's a cool story. You can read it sometime. There's a guy by the name of Bob Goff. I've told you about this guy before. He's a Jesus follower, uh, does some remarkable things around the world. He at one time was an attorney. I guess he still is technically, but at one time he spent much more time as an attorney. And one of the pieces of advice that he would give people who are about to walk into a deposition is he would say, I want you to go into that room. When you sit down, I want you to rest your, your, your arms just on top of your lap, hands open. And as you walk through that deposition, I want you to keep your hands open because it is almost impossible to be defensive with your hands open. And come on, this makes at least a little bit of sense to you because when you get mad, what do your hands do? They clench. When you get mad, your, your hands immediately begin to close. They immediately begin to tighten. I, I'm telling you, your posture, it plays a part, and we see it even in Scripture. Get on your knees, lift your hands, and then start with your Father in heaven. Throw things. Cast, he says, your anxiety, cast your, your care, cast all those questions on him. Not first at your classmate who said something to you this week. Not first 
to your friend who you thought would be trustworthy for your whole life and then he betrayed you. Not to your wife first who's in the next room. That's not your first move. Your first move is on your knees, hands lifted high, honest to God, unload. Out loud. And I'm telling you, this honest, dependent prayer habit is where people find strength. The people that you look at them in certain relationships, you look at them in certain circumstances, and you're like, I just don't know how they keep taking another step. That's how they do it. On my knees in the small place, giving access to the peace and the presence and the power of God. I am convinced that Peter learned this somewhere. Now, for one, he followed Jesus around for three years. But I'm also convinced that Peter knew some scripture. And I'm, I'm convinced that Peter learned this from a guy named David, who lived a long time before Peter did. David was a warrior. He had blood on his hands. But he also, an amazing, he's a musician, he's a poet, he's a writer. And when he writes, when he prays, I want you to see how it looks. A man after God's own heart, we're told of David. And I want you to check this out in Psalm chapter 55. I'm just going to kind of run through these verses, and I, I want you to get the picture, all right? I want you to get the picture. Verse 12. If an enemy were insulting me, because that's what enemies do, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, because that's what they do, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my, check this out, companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. So come on, setting the stage here. David's like, this would be different if this was my enemy, but come on, this was you. How could you do this to me? We used to, we used to go to, we were at church and everybody looked at us and went, what a great friendship, what a great couple. Everybody looked and said, how great that is is. You ready? Verse 15. Let death, don't you love that? Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. Do you know what David just asked God to do? Do you know what he just said? Yeah, he does, but check this out. Verse 16, as for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Check this out. Evening, morning, and noon, 
I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. I love that. You hear something from a man who is intentional. This is not, hey, if I can find a few minutes while I'm on the road, you know, between jobs, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to God a little bit. This is, this is not if the day works out and I find a few minutes when I'm stuck in traffic. No, this is a man who's intentional of saying in the morning, at noon, before I go to bed, I'm being honest with God, and I'm throwing this stuff his direction. Keep going. He rescues me unharmed from the battle. This is a battle. The battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and, here's our word, humble them. Just in case you don't know it, in the end, everybody's going to be humble. It's whether you choose it or he chooses it. He will humble them because they have no fear of God. Keep going. My companion attacks his friends. He violates, check this out, his covenant. God, she broke her promise. God, he broke his promise. God, he said, she said, they said they never would. Promise broken. Verse 21. His talk is smooth as butter. Yeah, we've gotten to the point that we're in this tug of war, and, and when you start negotiating, you know who tends to win? The best negotiator. When you get into a relationship where it's over a fight with words and who's trying to convince and coerce, you know who usually wins? Whoever's the best negotiator. His talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Oh, she's so sweet. And you're like, she ain't sweet. You just never been in my house. Words. Words. This is where David knows something. That Peter is going to pick up, he knows something. And it's what you and I today are grasping onto. Verse 22, cast your cares. That's where he got it from. Cast your cares on her? Uh, uh, no, cast your cares on the Lord. And he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Keep going. But you, God, here we go, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. Here he goes, back the other direction. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. But check how he ends it. But as for me, I trust in you. Oh, my word, am I glad that God put that in the Bible. Because that ain't nice, is it? That's not nice. That's not a polite prayer. It's honest and key. It's dependent. God, get him, but I trust in you. 
if you've never prayed that way, I, I'm, I'm saying it is likely that you may never have really fully ever opened your heart to God. I'm talking about the God, God, I am so done. I am so fed up with this. God, I am so tired of going around this same track over and over. I wish I would have never met him. I wish I would have never married her. I wish we would have never slept together. I wish, I wish, I wish. God, I don't know what to do. That's honest. But I need you. That's dependent. Now, if you never had permission to be that way with your parents, then it is likely that this is really hard for you to do this with God. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm saying I noticed in my life as a parent that as my girls got older, there came a time that I was willing to take some of this when they might unload and it just so happened got pointed my direction. Now, please don't misunderstand me. My girls love me. My girls respect me. They do. They, they, they treat me so good as a dad. They, they really have for, for really their whole life. And so I'm saying it's a part of why it makes it easier for me to, to sometimes see this when it's happening. But I'm not talking about the, the right for kids to dishonor their parents. I'm not talking about the right for kids to, to talk in such a way. I, that's not what I'm talking about. But every once in a while, for everybody, and especially as they're growing up, it gets to a point where something is so overwhelming that they've just got to throw something some direction. And sometimes as a parent, it ends up heading your direction, and you realize, I can take this. I can take this. I'm actually glad they're throwing it at me because you know what? For a long, long time, God has allowed me to do the same toward him. And this last piece is so good. This is so good. Back to chapter 5, verse 7 of 1 Peter, cast all your anxiety on him because can you see it he cares for you why would I let them unload on me and take it because I care about them and good daddies care about what their kids care about why would God allow us to unload on him because good daddies care about what their kids care about. Can I remind you of something? Peter knows exactly what this is all about. Because Peter is exactly like the friend in David's prayer. Because Peter walked three plus years with Jesus 
And when the moment of truth came, Peter bailed. He's like the friend that David's going, I can't believe you, my closest friend. If it were my enemy, that would be different. If it were my foe, I would understand it. But you, my closest friend, we have walked together. That's Peter. And Peter knows that Jesus didn't just take him back. Jesus put him in charge. Isn't that wild? He didn't just take him back. He puts him in charge. Start with your heavenly father. Unload there. Again, we're not talking about dishonoring God. We're talking about saying, God, I need you. And I'm believing that you understand what I'm going through. You understand what this feels like. You understand what I don't. So God, I'm throwing this your direction instead of throwing it at anybody else. Start there. That's what Peter says. Now, let me just give you a warning. Here's the warning. When you do that, you do know, you probably already know, but I feel a responsibility to tell you the first remarkable thing that God's going to do is probably not going to be in them. The first remarkable thing that God's going to do is probably going to be in you. Because this is an invitation. An invitation for God's power to do something remarkable in the scenario in which you find yourself. It may mean that you're going to end up taking some things out of the pack. And please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It might not be that anything in the pack was particularly bad. It might not be that that thing was bad. But you just all of a sudden realize that you are asking, you are asking them to carry something that they weren't made to carry. But when you both begin to act in humility, then you both begin to reflect the image. The image of the God who created aided you. Trust isn't built in a tug of war. Trust is built when you drop the rope. Just like Jesus did for you and me at the cross. That regardless of how you responded, he did. Trust is not going to be built if you go at them first. You unload on them, trust will not be built. But sometimes you got to throw things. Just start with your heavenly Father. Next week, I got one more piece to give you. And I'm asking you to be here. Next week, there's going to be some heart stuff that I want to just send your way. I, I, I encourage you to be here. Imagine what can be. Let's pray.
God, I'm thanking you for some light. Thanking you for some understanding. God, for some of us, we have maybe been in a particular relationship for a period of time, and we don't even realize, we don't even realize what's happening. We're, we want the trust. God, we want there to be the intimacy. We want there to be the oneness. We want there to be the closeness, but we haven't realized that the way we've been going about that is, is actually eating away at the very thing that we want. So God, I'm asking you to help us to continue to be willing to drop the rope. God, relationships across this room, God, relationships in the lives of those who, who will hear my voice, God, lots of different levels of hurt, lots of different levels of pain, and yet you, you, our Heavenly Father, can take it all. And not just hear it, but God, we believe this really is an invitation for you to begin to do something so powerful. God, help us to see. God, we've been playing this game of tug of war for a long time, and it's not working. It's not working. God, help us to believe that what you are offering us here, God, this invitation, it, it is better than we can imagine. So God, I'm praying for those relationships that need that kind of healing. God, those, those steps that we're beginning to take as we're asking each other the questions of what we imagine, God, what we dream about. God, I'm asking that conversations could be open. I'm asking that you'd help us not to get defensive. God, help us, help us not to fight against one another, but that we will begin to take those steps that builds trust. God, in the name of Jesus, I ask for healing. I, I pray even for those relationships that are strong, that this would be one of those moments that they're reminded of what makes them strong, and that you will keep sending us to our knees, hands lifted high, that we might continue to experience your peace, your presence, your power. God, I thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for loving us this much. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.